0: in history for the special exhibit, Spirits of the Passage, the story of the transatlantic slave trade, open now through August 11th. Details at com slash spirits.
1: Good morning. It's 830 on Thursday, March 7th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we'll find out what lived and what died following a key deadline in the ongoing legislative session this week. Then, hear from a student Senate member from the University of Mississippi on why he supports relocating the historic Confederate statue. Plus, learn more about how to protect your identity by shredding sensitive documents. They can sell your mailing address so you're not aware of the
2: theft. They can also sell your personal or business information to other identity thieves. They'll also do it where they call you and they make you think that they're a good person raising money for some fundraiser and then you give your information that way.
1: And best-selling Mississippi author Greg Isles is back with a brand-new novel. It's in this week's book club. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A Mississippi lawmaker is raising concerns about a Senate bill supporters hope will help recruit more medical examiners to the state. MPB's Desiree Fraser reports.
3: Mississippi House members are weighing in on Senate Bill 2161. House Democrat Angela Cockerham of Magnolia chairs a judiciary committee. She says the measure clarifies definitions for positions in the state medical examiner's office, which is under the Department of Public Safety. Currently, there are two medical examiners, and some House members complain it can take up to 18 months to get an autopsy report.
4: During my discussion, I talked about, hopefully, with these definition clarifications, hopefully it would help with recruiting.
3: But House Democrat Bob Evans of Monticello, a defense attorney, took issue with one of the definitions. He says currently autopsies are done by doctors certified by the American Board of Pathology. Evans says the bill would require medical examiners be eligible for certification, but they wouldn't have to take the exam to become certified. He says he'd raise that issue in a court case.
0: My main concern was that they're diminishing the requirements
5: of the people who do the autopsies. I started so we may get less accurate autopsies. I won't say may to that. I say we will get less accurate autopsies.
3: Representative Cockerham urged House members to support the bill.
4: I don't think the intent of DPS is to reduce any qualifications, to terminate anyone. If anything, the Department of Public Safety is trying to improve standards. SB
3: 2161 passed. It will go to the governor's office for his consideration. Desiree Frazier, MPB News.
1: In other legislative news, after another key deadline this week, the fate of several measures you may have been following has been decided. Among the bills that died in committee, a proposal that would have kept minors under the age of 18 from using tanning beds. A bill that would have prohibited releasing for at least six months the names of police officers involved in a shooting. And perhaps most notably, a controversial extension of a special needs education voucher program. There are plenty of bills still alive this legislative session. Those include a modest two-year raise for Mississippi public school teachers, a bill limiting the circumstances under which a property owner can be sued for something that occurs on their property, and the controversial heartbeat bill that would ban abortions after the detection of a fetal heartbeat that's usually around six weeks into a pregnancy. Coming up, this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown.
0: Country Music, the new documentary series from award-winning filmmaker Ken Burns, comes to MPB-TV later this year. But you're invited to our special preview screenings in Philadelphia and Meridian. Join us on March 28th in Philadelphia for the story of Mississippi's own Marty Stewart. And join us in Meridian Friday morning, March 29th, for the story of the great Jimmy Rogers. For more information about the preview screenings, visit Ardenland.net.
5: This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi
6: is our mission.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A key student group at the University of Mississippi is unanimously calling for the relocation of a monument depicting a Confederate soldier. The monument has been a rallying point in recent weeks for pro-Confederate demonstrators on the historic campus. Those demonstrators say they're simply working to preserve history and honor their heritage. Members of the Associated Student Body Senate see it differently. Jarvis Benson is a member of the Senate. He's a senior at Ole Miss majoring in international studies and Spanish. He says as an African-American student, symbols like the Confederate statue are a constant reminder of inequality. Benson spoke with MPB's Jasmine Ellis about how this week's resolution came about.
6: Campus is really energetic. Right now, um, and for the past few months, I'd say it's been really, really energetic. There has been a lot of different activities, um surrounding the statue, a lot of different forms we've had, um, you know, the protests and marches surrounding the statue. And so I'd say, you, you know, the conversations and discussions and the general feelings have been very energetic.
4: Why did you all decide to start the committee and how did you come together?
6: I think we were really intentional about. Um, making sure that we reached out to a lot of student groups and a wide, like a wide range of student interest groups, um, but also like to make sure that we were doing this in the right way and very um, intentional about, you know, reading the laws and talking to people that, you know, were familiar with the law. And so I think the group really came about from people that were number one interested. And addressing the statue you know through the student body Senate, but also those that were um, you know a part of of those initial conversations um, that we had last fall post the Ed Meek situation on campus.
4: What are your thoughts in particular on the statue? Obviously, I know you think it should be removed, but can you tell me some of the reasons why what it means to you personally when you see it? You know before
6: coming to school here when I decided to come um, and I told my friends and I told my family a lot of people you know, we're like, why would you go to Ole Miss? Like, why would you go to a university that's clearly not for you, that clearly, um, like, has a history that's violent against people that look like us, and people that are not, um you neo know, Confederates is basically what, what the statement what the was. And so, you know, I, I kind of was a little weird coming and walking on campus, but you know, I found a university that um, has made a lot of progress, and I found a university that has done a lot to address its history. You know, we have the Center for Inclusion. We have the new Chancellor for Diversity and Community Engagement. But when I look at the statue, I see that that progress is not done, and I see that a lot of that progress has been done in vain while that statue still stands, because I think that statue perpetuates that stigma that a lot of my friends and family had when I chose to come here. And it says that, this university still does support and hasn't completely healed from that violent racist and that violent, you know, segregationist past. You know, the fact that it stands in front of the most important academic, I mean, the most important administrative building on campus just speaks volumes to that, that lack of, of, of disconnect from that Confederate past.
4: Why did you all feel the need to do this, to draft this resolution? Because
6: students were hurting, and it was clear that students have been hurting for for years. You know, there's been discussions about the statue since my freshman year. Um, my freshman year, there the student body said it to take down the flag. You know, after a huge student activist effort to address that and to address the state flag, and so you know, even then there were comments made about the statue, and since then you know, students have expressed, you know, that we're hurting and, and there's there, you know, there's also been a lot of different things that have happened in the past that make it clear that this this place has not moved forward. You know, there was a report released last semester by the sociology department um and where it explained and like documented over thirteen hundred instances of microaggressions on campus. You know, I, I I think that that shows the students are hurting and students still don't completely feel welcome here and still don't feel that they have a voice here. And so I think that that was important for us to make sure that students, current students, but also like prospective students and students, you know, that anybody that steps on this campus feels welcome and feels like their voice and that they're welcome.
4: Say the resolution, I know it needs to go to the administration um, for next mm-hmm. steps, but in the case that the statue isn't removed do you all have does the committee in particular have plans on what's next
6: so the committee in particular like we haven't talked about um dollars plans we're really um right now focused on our administration and, and leaving it in their hands and making sure that you know we have our student voice heard and we feel like we've done that i just want to you know reiterate that this is a really Big student effort, and you know it's larger than you know the authors of the resolution. It's 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 come from a culmination of the hands of so many for so many years, and so I really just want to commend the work of of all of the the student activists and all of the the administration, all of the um, student government uh, members. I think that you know this is this is a really joint effort. and and I'm really grateful for
4: that. Jarvis Benson is a senior at the University of Mississippi. Jarvis, thanks so much for joining us and telling us your story. We appreciate it. Thank
1: you so much. The student senate resolution will now be delivered to university administration for their consideration. It is non-binding. Coming up, how to protect your identity by shredding sensitive documents. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
0: Country Music, the new documentary series from award-winning filmmaker Ken Burns, comes to MPB-TV later this year. But you're invited to our special preview screenings in Philadelphia and Meridian. Join us on March 28th in Philadelphia for the story of Mississippi's own Marty Stewart. And join us in Meridian Friday morning, March 29th, for the story of the great Jimmy Rogers. For more information about the preview screenings, visit Ardenland.net.
1: More than one in five Americans are likely to have their identity stolen this year, according to the identity theft protection company, Identity Force. And thieves are exploiting any available means to get their hands on your personal information. Margaret Ann Morgan with the Mississippi Attorney General's Office says shredding sensitive documents instead of just throwing them away is one way to keep your information out of the wrong hands. She joins us to talk about the office's 13th annual Shred Day events.
2: It's important to shred documents that have sensitive information because there are people out there who will steal that information. Your personal information is gold to someone who wants to open a bank account, get a loan, anything that they can do with your personal information to steal your money and steal your identity, they will do it. So it's very important to shred these
1: documents. If you're thr- crumpling up or tearing papers and you're throwing them in the garbage can, you tell me that someone's going to go through your garbage can? I'm saying we're not putting them past it. Criminals, thieves, they will
2: do anything they need. Now, I'm not saying that we're seeing, you know, a bunch of people calling in saying someone's gone through my trash. But I am saying that we get a number of calls every single year about people who, I, whose identity has been stolen. They do it in a number of ways. But regardless of where a paper lands itself, if it has that personal identifying information on it, it's important that it's shredded and disposed of properly.
1: How savvy are thieves? when they're going after your identity?
2: They are very savvy. We see a variety of ways that they use information. They can sell your mailing address so you're not aware of the theft. They can also sell your personal or business information to other identity thieves. They'll also do it where they call you and they make you think that they're a good person raising money for someone or for some fundraiser, and then you give your information that way. We always say never, ever, ever give out your personal identifying information Of course, sometimes you can't prevent that if they're stealing it from you without you knowing it. But if someone calls you or sends you a letter in the mail and you don't know who they are and you didn't seek out that information, do not send it. Hang up or present that letter to someone that's in law enforcement. How many years have you been having Shred Day? This is our 13th annual event. We've been doing it since 2007. And how popular is it? How many people turn out with their bags of papers? It is extremely popular. Last year, we held events across the state, just as we are this year, and we had approximately 1,100 consumers across the state participating. Now, from that number, we shredded 38,000 pounds of paper on Shred Day. What
1: what do you do with the paper after (laughs) it gets shredded? We dispose of it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: I guess in a lot of different trash cans.
1: (laughs) Someone really wants identities Mm -hmm. if they're willing to put those pieces together. Uh, give us some of the details about how people can take advantage of this and how much paper can they bring and how do they bring it, that sort of thing.
2: We're only shredding paper only, and this is only open to individuals, not for businesses. They can bring up to three boxes or three bags of paper to be shredded, and we're doing it in Jackson and Hattiesburg Friday, and we will also be in Tupelo and Diaberville on Saturday. So it's across the state for anyone who wants to participate. You just bring it to us, drop it off, and we shred it. When you say three bags, can they be garbage? Garbage size bags? They, three bags, whatever right. they need. And three boxes can be <laughs> in Three boxes. boxes. There <laughs> you go. We just want to make sure that Mississippians are protected. This is our way of providing them a free service, a safe service open to them to where if they've been holding on to this stuff, now is a great opportunity to go ahead and shred it. We do have set times for these events at each location, but if the truck is full, which it has happened in the past, if the truck is full before the posted end time, the event will be completed. So make sure that you. You get there early if you're one to shred your documents. Is there a website
1: for the details, times, and locations? agjimhood.com. You will find
2: Shred Day right on the front page of our website. We also have information on our social media accounts on Facebook at Mississippi Attorney General Jim Hood, as well as on Twitter at Mississippi
1: AGO. Margaret Ann Morgan is the Communications Director for the Attorney General's Office. Thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up, best-selling Mississippi author Greg Isles with his latest novel, Cemetery Road. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: The mysterious world of brakes will be our next topic on AutoCorrect. They're not mysterious to Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, though. Allison will be available to answer your brake or other automotive questions live or by email, auto at auto mpbonline.org autocorrect today at 10 a.m. on mpb think radio or on the internet at mpbonline.org
0: i'm jeremy hobson we'll continue our look at chicago's improv scene with the visit to i-o where aspiring comedians come to learn the art of improv co-founder sharna halpern tells us they've got to stay up on the news
3: and that's our job is to explore the issues And make statements on stage, and so you have to have something to say, or what good is it?
0: That's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Greg Isles is one of Mississippi's best-known authors and a powerhouse on the national stage, having appeared on the New York Times bestseller list 15 times. Now, Isles has released his 17th novel, Cemetery Road. He was raised and lives in Natchez and tells us how the town has been a setting for many of his books.
5: After my sort of initial period where I wrote about World War II, and then I switched to the Delta for one, I kept getting closer to Natchez. The fourth one was set in Madison, and then when I landed in matches with The Quiet Game, that was it. You know, it's kind of a minefield writing about the town you actually live in. And you know that I blend in historical characters and all that. And, and it's just hard to do that. People get misconceptions that they think every character is a real person. So to deal with something as personal as this book and the secret that's revealed in this book, I just didn't want any confusion.
1: And no you've created a
5: fictional place.
1: Yeah, you've created a fictional town, although there is a Bienville forest I see in Mississippi.
5: Yes, there is, but not a town. That's right. Here's my worry, Karen. We get a lot of tourists in Natchez coming to see the places in the the Natchez books, you know. And I'm worried that I made Bienville so real with the history. I've already had people interviewing me think that it's a real place. <laughs> I'm worried we're going to get tourists driving up and down 61 looking for gentlemen.
1: <laughs> Since you set so many of your books in Natchez and why you just explained that it can create some problems, do the people in Natchez resent or like the fact that you often use Natchez as a setting?
5: You know, a critic once said I do Natchez the backhanded compliment of setting my books there. I think now and then I get some upset people. But look, in general, it's been good for the town. And I think people like the notoriety. And look, people in natchez they don't wear blinders. They know what it's really like. They know what Mississippi's really like. I think that's one thing you can say about Mississippi, the Mississippi warts and all the bad things have pretty much always been out in public.
1: How do you decide, or is it a conscious decision when you include factual information in your books?
5: I think for me it's always been a part of my art or craft to weave a dense historical context or matrix around the fiction that i use so that the the person reading the book really does feel that that, it, that it's real that it's history and you know i've written a couple of historical novels maybe it comes out of that and you know i don't want to go too far with this but i mean you, when you write about the things I do, about the place you grew up, and you're writing about race and family and those things, I mean, to an extent it is real. And uh, you, you almost couldn't do it without using some real people, I think.
1: Well, let's get to this book specifically. Cemetery Road is a thriller. Tell us about the lead character and some of the circumstances of the book.
5: Yeah, the lead character is sort of a cross. I, I didn't intend this, but he's sort of a cross between Woodward and Bernstein from the 70s, an investigative journalist and sort of a John Meacham type character, like we have now. He leaves Mississippi when he's 18 because of a terrible thing that happened in his family. He swears he'll never come back. But at the peak of his career in Washington D.C., he finds out his father's dying, and he has to go back to help his mother. And he has to run the family newspaper until I think he thinks he'll he'll sell it as soon as his father dies. Two things happen when he comes back. One he runs into as much corruption as he left in washington dc which anybody from mississippi knows is true and two it reveals the fact that this book is really about two men in love with the same woman and they've always been in love with the same woman so when you wind up with both men and the woman in the same town that's pretty much trouble is going to ensue
1: and plus the two men are best friends
5: best friends and and since childhood absolutely it's uh
1: and one saved it's the almost, life of the other one.
5: That's right. That's right. I mean, I you know, I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but I knew once you figure out when a guy is sleeping with his best friend's wife and you find out that that friend saved his life, man, it, it's hard to believe readers are going to stick with your guy. Even if he's a <laughs> hero, I <I'm> think that <laughs> they're going to say, no, that's, I'm not going with him.
1: It's interesting because Mississippi always plays a main character in your book. Is that your intention? Because it really is a character.
5: Not only Mississippi, but the river itself. I think those of us who grew up in the river counties have a special feeling about that, just like people who grew up in Mississippi have it about the state. You know, I just did a national satellite tour, so I was talking to people all around the country, and everybody asked about Mississippi, why we have so many rioters, what is the north wrong about? You know, and if you live in Mississippi, black or white, despite our troubled history— I find that people uh, have a feeling about it that that they wouldn't trade it for anything. Somebody just asked me why I live in Mississippi when I could live anywhere I want. And I said, well, I'm going to give you Morgan Freeman's answer. And I'm sure you know that story. They asked Morgan why he lived in Mississippi when he could live anywhere he wanted. And he thought for a minute and he said, because I can live anywhere I want to. People think it's so terrible. It's not. And, And certainly whatever sins Mississippi is guilty of, I think the last three years have shown us that the rest of the country is just as guilty of that as Mississippi is or was.
1: Do you see your future as a writer being in that niche of thrillers? Do you think you'll always write thrillers?
5: I don't know. This, I think, is my 16th book, and I've had some opportunities come up in television and different things. I'm looking at what it is I'm going to do. I certainly never intended to write Dan Cage novels all my life, and I broke away from that. And You know, I've written about a lot of subjects, but this last run of books, really, you're right, has been dead center in Mississippi. So I'm not sure.
1: This book is called Cemetery Road, and Greg Isles is the author. Greg, thanks so much.
5: Thank you, Karen. I really enjoyed
1: it. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10, it's AutoCorrect. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. You can also download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. Or you can subscribe to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8:30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.
0: Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Department of Archives and History for the special exhibit, Spirits of the Passage, the story of the transatlantic slave trade. Open now through August 11th. Details at 2mississippimuseums.com slash spirits.